This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Right to Lahayskin at right point, Klingberg shoots, blocked, it's out of the zone, it's in the neutral zone, eight seconds left, Buckley Goodrow after it, time ticks down, the Lightning win the Stanley Cup, they have reached the top of the mountain, they are the Stanley Cup champs. Wow. All I can say is, wow, what a job by these guys. You know, I was hoping Steve was going to come in with the Bucks final call. Come on, let's go. <laughs> City of champions. That Steve's, is. Steve's already on like an hour and a half of sleep. You so. know what? Don't use that as an excuse, Dave. Just because Steve basically got off the air doing his stuff at like four o'clock in the morning doesn't mean he can. Take I'm good to go, man. I'm running on adrenaline like the rest are, of this man. city. You are. I, it's just incredible. First off, congratulations to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes. Unbelievable accomplishment. We're going to get into that just a bit. This is a hockey show, so I think we're going to tie it in a little bit to the Lightning. But uh, Dave and Steve, uh, welcome here to Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. And uh, Rick Stroud maybe will be joining us here at the top. But look, Dave, anytime a team that plays in your city wins a championship, particularly when it's one of the big four sports. It's always a big deal to have two teams actually win the whole thing in their sports. It's pretty incredible. And you know what? Everybody here in Tampa Bay uh, is walking with a little extra pep in their steps, so to speak. You know, I just got an email from Pete Weber, who does radio for the National Predators. It wasn't just to me. It was was, uh, a group email. But he's really good about sending out group emails for the teams that are about to be playing Nashville or maybe the the opponent that is next up after their current opponent. And he'll send, like, line charts and bio information. He sent, actually, I don't know how long it took him to compile this, but he had a list of every champion in every major sport going back you know probably 100 years and according to this chart that i'm looking at there have been 16 instances of a city having two champions in the same calendar year essentially and of course tampa bay or the same season i guess because now we're into a new calendar year with the bucks but la and tampa bay have have gotten to 15 and 16 this year so it has not happened that often only 16 times according to this chart and it's great that tampa bay gets to be one of those those markets that gets to celebrate two championships within the same season and you're going to hear a lot of discussion today about tom brady and is he the greatest football player of all time is he the greatest athlete of all time and Listen, the day after a Super Bowl win, you expect that type of conversation going on when it comes to talk radio. But I want to steer it in a different direction, Dave, and and I want to bring it back to the Lightning a bit because I think there are some legitimate comparisons when you look at the two and their championship run. I, I sent out a tweet, and I you know me, I don't tweet a ton, but I sent out a tweet uh, you know, probably about an hour ago, and it, it really did hit me that that old saying that offense wins games, defense wins championships. And I think for the Lightning in the Bucks, that's exactly what happened this year. And, you know, the Lightning had a commitment to defense starting, 
you know, really last year when I, I thought that spearheaded them into the Stanley Cup final and, and being a really good defensive team. Now, you know, the start they're on, not only are they scoring goals, but they're giving up the fewest in the league. And the Bucks, of course, what you saw last night against the Chiefs, I mean, they just pressured Mahomes basically every single play. And that can make an unbelievable quarterback look pretty average. But I think it does reinforce the point that you need a lot of things to go in your favor to win a championship. There's no question. And having a quarterback and having a good offense is part of that. But the foundation of all championship teams, whether it's baseball, whether it's basketball, whether it's hockey, whether it's football, you do need a really good defense. And I think those two teams, the Lightning and the Bucks, they had that for their championship run. They did. Uh, I don't feel as comfortable talking in depth about football. So I'm going to I'm going to throw out some broad generalizations. I think that you can win a Super Bowl with an average defense if you have a great offense. Just as the opposite is true. I think that you can win a Super Bowl with a great defense and a competent offense. I think Rick Stroud is is joining us momentarily. I thought it was a complete team win for the Bucks yesterday and the defense what they were able to accomplish against a juggernaut offensive team. What was the stat that Mahomes had never lost a game as a starting quarterback by more than double digits. He was held without a touchdown, and it wasn't even him. I mean, he did everything he could. The few times that he had any time yeah. to throw the ball, he he usually completed it down the field. It's just the Bucks didn't give him any time at all. But let's, let's turn to the football expert here because it is our pleasure to have Rick Stroud, the longtime beat writer, covering the Bucks, He does a lot more than that to his own podcast, Talking Tampa Bay Sports. First of all, Rick, how much sleep did you get last night? <laughs> about as much as your your producer, Steve Bursnick, got, I think. <laughs> Probably about two hours. Um, but that's two more hours than I think uh, a lot of people got. So I'm, I'm fairly fortunate that way. It was, you know, uh, they, they actually went and partied a little bit at the aquarium, I guess, till about 4 a.m. And Ludicrous was the entertainment, which really sounds about right for this season, right? <laughs> Ludicrous, uh, which is, you know, for the pandemic, as you guys know, uh, winning a Stanley Cup, you know, uh, within the bubble and all of that, uh, it, it's really been something to watch. And, um, yeah, that was that was quite a night. Well, Rick, what I just said to Dave, really, it stood out for me that, I mean, everybody's going to talk about Brady and the offense, and that makes a lot of sense, and there are conversations to be had about that. But just what stood out to me was just how dominant they were defensively. I know the Chiefs were a little shorthanded on the line, but was that kind of the theme for you this year, that the defense really was uh, dynamic when it needed to be? Well, it was, and, and I think those guys, you know, got better as the year went on, and especially on the back end. They had a lot of young players, you know, that are in their first, second, maybe in some cases third year with Carlton Davis, and they all, you know, played, I thought, pretty well. But, you know, it's a team game, and, you know, you, you have to get to the point where, you know, you're complementing each other. And, and I thought that there were times when, you know, early in the year when the offense really wasn't playing that well, um, you know, they were going three and out, three and out, giving up field position, falling behind to the Rams 17, falling, you know, falling behind different teams. 
and it's hard to play defense that way. And so I think the team itself just got better. And, you know, we saw the growth of the guys on the back end. And, you know, I think Todd Bowles does such a great job of adjusting and certainly had a different game plan and he needed one against the Chiefs. You know, so they, you know, they thought they could get home against a beat up offensive line that the Chiefs had with four guys and dropping seven. And, you know, like hockey or anything else, right? It's about numbers. If you've, if you've got the advantage covering five receivers with seven guys, you're in good shape. So uh, I just think that, you know, as a team, they, they, they elevated their game and it wasn't, you know, just one side of the ball. Or the other it was kind of the whole team. Well, and, and that's what we were talking about, Rick, that it was the offense and the defense. And the defense was, was so impressive with oh, yeah. how much pressure they brought. But let's not discount how efficiently the offense played. I mean, I didn't really see many mistakes they made, unlike the Chiefs. And when they had a chance to, to make the Chiefs pay for some of those mistakes, they did. Brady was very efficient. But I guess to the extent that people are saying, yeah, Brady had Brady had a good game, but but the defense, but the defense. How much beyond what he did on the field this year, and he had a very good statistical season talking about Brady, how much of an impact did Brady's arrival have off the field when you hear about the intangibles like confidence and swagger and belief that went beyond him actually throwing passes down the field you know Dave I've never seen anything like it and I don't think there's many athletes um, much less football players that can impact an entire franchise and this is something that they were hoping for we they, they saw it in Denver with Peyton Manning although his skill set had eroded beyond where where Tom Brady is obviously even at 43 um, but I think you know I I had to I had to watch it every day and it, it was really incredible um you know, and it's as simple as, you know, they go to Chicago. It was an undisciplined football team, still had some bad habits from yesteryear. And, you know, they commit 11 penalties. I think they had six on one drive. They lose that game 20-19, to the team that they should have beaten. And you saw Brady lighten up some guys on the offensive line like Ryan Jensen for personal fouls and things like this. And I'm telling you, you know, coaches preach, you know, don't make stupid penalties. The Bucks have beaten themselves for years that way. Um, but when you have Tom Brady – leaning into you like that uh and he's a guy that you know has six Super Bowl rings it just is different it's different because he's a player it's different because of his pedigree and if you go back and look after that game I mean they're one of the, the most the least penalized teams in the NFL I think they may have had one or two last night um you know obviously Kansas City committed a ton of them I think they had 11 so you know that that's the sort of impact and just the day-to-day -day, you know attention to detail and, you know, even at the beginning of the season, stopping, you know, talking to his, his entire team. He didn't address them much um, on, on the whole. He did a lot of individual stuff. But when he did talk, he, he said some meaningful things, you know. And, and after one practice early in training camp, um, he wanted to talk to the team. And Bruce thought, that eh, it was an okay practice. It wasn't horrible. And, you know, Tom just said, look, we don't have any time. Like, we can't take a rep off. We can't take, you know, a period off. We can't take a practice. Like, we're behind – we're way behind. I'm I'm new. Everybody's new. You guys have to have to really you know step it up, and it was just that you know that emphasis from a player who has been there, done that. And belief is the word, Dave. Belief is such a big word in sports, but you know truly you know they got down 17 in a couple of games, and 
people have seen Tom Brady be behind more than that in a Super Bowl and win it. So, you know, you do believe that he's going to make a play, make a drive, get you back in the game. And I, I think you can rely on that too much. But um, this team, you know, continued to believe that they were going to they were going to win. And I think Bruce Arians thought from the start they were going to win a Super Bowl. I know Tom did. I think Byron Leftwich was that way. So there were a number of people that were just unrelenting in the belief that they would win a Super Bowl this year. Rick Stroud joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Uh, Rick, in terms of an overview with this team, how long can they keep this going, staying competitive, assuming Brady wants to continue doing what he wants to do, which seems like uh, a long time? Well, as you guys know, um, it's hard to repeat in any sport because it's it's hard to win a championship, right? Um, you go back to the bottom of the hill and you got to start your climb, but you do it with a totally different team. And the dynamics are different. And that's why, you know, Kansas City was trying to repeat, run it back was their m- mantra. And and no one had done that since the Patriots, and I think in 04, 05 or somewhere around there, 05, 06. And the reason is, is that, you know, you're not going to have the same players. And they do have a salary cap in a situation like you're experiencing there where you got to make tough decisions, right? Um, you want Shaq Barrett back. You franchise him. Okay, is he going to get – a hundred million dollar contract or do you have to franchise him again okay if you do what about chris godwin is going to get a ton of money from other teams he's a free agent you can't lose chris okay and then you know gronkowski wants to come back and play what is he willing to accept so you hope that you're able to get keep as many core guys as you can you're going to lose players um and some players they're hoping will at this point in their careers will care more about the jewelry than they will the salary. And so you hope that you you sort of get guys that want to be on this team, like it here, don't want to move, uh, maybe want to play a year or two more, and they'll, they'll take a little less. Um, but all of that, you know, is what uh, negotiators are about. Uh, it is a business, and the business is good right now because they won the Super Bowl. So we'll see how that, how that transpires. I do have one question for you, Rick, about the Chiefs. And I understand it's hard to repeat. And if they come back to the Super Bowl and maybe their offensive line was banged up, they were overmatched, couldn't make a play, fair enough. The, it was the Bucks' time. Were you surprised, though, at how unraveled they became in that first half? I mean, this is a team that won the Super Bowl last year, and they were taking horrendously undisciplined penalties, like lining up offside on a field goal attempt for crying out loud. Did it surprise you? from the other side that the Chiefs not only played badly, but but made some mistakes that you would not expect from a team that had won the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, I think it did. Um, and I think they were disappointed. I know listening to Andy Reid after the game, he took responsibility for that. And, um, you know, whether it was overconfidence, uh, you know, but that that's just not what good teams do. And I don't think it's what they do. It, it's uncharacteristic, really. You can't win 14 games in a year, 15 games, uh, and do those things. They know that teams are too good in this league, and especially when you get in the playoffs and you get in the Super Bowl, you're playing an elite team that's that's obviously playing very, very well. So when you make those kinds of mistakes and they made their share, um, they end up, you know, you guys would say in the back of the net. Well, in this case, it's in the back of the end zone. And, um, you know, that last drive, I thought, before the end of the first half, you know, Kansas City's trying to score. They're using their timeouts. Bucks managed to get the ball back, and you get a big pass interference penalty. Then you get another one. And, and before you know it, 
you know, that, that touchdown with six seconds to go was just, it, it was similar to what they did in green Bay. It was just a backbreaker. Right. And, and so I, I just think that, you know, the bucks forced a lot of those, you know, they put pressure on their defensive backs. They, they took the shots at the right time. Um, and you know, they were physical. Those are hard receivers to cover man to man. And, you know, some of it is just a bad matchup and some of it is loss of poise, but, Whatever it was, it wasn't the Chiefs' night, and I don't think with or without the penalties they would have won on Sunday night because I just think at this time the Bucks are a better football team, and, and I do think that the injuries had a lot to do with why Kansas City couldn't function. Rick, last question for me. We're here with Rick Stroud here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. When teams win championships, guys who are assistant coaches sometimes get elevated is anyone in line, you think, to be a head coach pretty soon? I know you mentioned uh, Todd Bowles comes to mind as a guy who defensively was was very good, maybe gets another shot at a head coaching gig. Who on that staff do you think is going to really find a, an elevated position here moving forward? Well, I guess it's unfortunate for the coaches, but fortunate for the organization that most of these teams, or all of them that had openings, went ahead and filled them before the playoffs were over. That used to not be the case. Um, you know, there very often were coordinators from teams in the Super Bowl that had interviewed. And I know Todd Bowles interviewed for a couple of three jobs. Um, the Bucks are lucky in that aspect that I guess none of them got hired. They, you know, obviously B.A. wants those guys to be head coaches again. You know, Todd Bowles was a head coach and he had one winning season in four. Uh, it wasn't a great organization. I'm sure he learned a lot. And, and I, I would expect that he would get an opportunity again. But the fact is, is that he's back next year, which is good for Tampa Bay. And the rising star, as Bruce Arian calls him, is Byron Lefwich. You know, Byron was a quarterback in this league. It's rare to find a player with his experience and his intangibles and the money that he made to want to go into coaching in the first place. It took a long time for B.A. to talk him off the golf course. And now, you know, he's got the bug. And uh, I don't think that he's going to be – long for a coordinator's position. I think somebody's going to want to hire him. The, the big question is, and none of us really can answer this, we know B.A. is going to be 69 years old. He says he's coming back. Why wouldn't he? Um, he feels good. I think he'd like to obviously see if they can repeat with Tom Brady in a full stadium and all the, the, all the fun and excitement that goes with that that they missed out on. But beyond that, who's to say? You know, after next season, um, you know, maybe, maybe B.A. decides if he wins the Super Bowl – uh, that he's had enough and they turn it over to one of those guys and they keep the band together. They keep all the assistant coaches. Because remember, when you lose a head coach, you, you lose your staff most likely. Those guys need, need contracts too. So there's going to be a lot that goes on in the next year, year and a half. Um, but I would say that both those guys are, are deserving and certainly doesn't, doesn't hurt to do it on the biggest stage. Last one from me, Rick. You work – in the world of words so i'm going to ask you to put some words together here and maybe the thousand foot view from overhead about this market and what the last five six months has been like and and what what this time has meant for the people who are sports fans here as we are dealing with the pandemic and everything that has gone with it well i i, I usually put my words to to uh uh to a typewriter or a, a, a typewriter and we don't have those anymore but a computer so that I can erase them if they're not good but here I go <laughs> uh, I, I would just say this that um, you know I grew up here I'm from St. Pete uh, there was a time you know when, when I was a kid um, 
and the only professional sports team in Tampa Bay were the Rowdies and then then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, you know, when there is success, like unprecedented success that we've seen with all these franchises, what it does is it, it captures those young fans forever. Um, you know, I have two little girls uh, that are, you know, 8 and 10 years old or, or 9 and 11, I should say. I've been gone so long, they've aged a year, um, that, you know, they are they, they first got involved watching the Lightning, and they're huge Lightning fans. Why? Well, because it was on, because they, they were winning, because it was exciting, and, and we went to games, and they got, they got completely mesmer, you know, mesmerized by them and enjoyed the run to the Stanley Cup even though they couldn't see a game. And so they're going to be Lightning fans for life. And I think the same is true with a whole generation of Rays fans, and definitely, you know, the Buccaneers have done that as well. And that's what that's what sports is supposed to be, right? It's you're supposed to be proud of your community, where you're from. You wanna you wanna have that that um, taste of success. And boy, we we got it this year uh, in abundance. And it came with a little bit of bitterness that, you know, the Lightning had to be in a bubble and we couldn't see those games. And the Rays were in Texas, and you know, at least some people could go. Uh, to Raymond James, but it wasn't the Super Bowl crowd that we we would have been familiar with or the parties. But you know, in a time when we needed distraction, when we needed some some normalcy, um, you know, this community showed up and showed out, and these these franchises have really, including the Rowdies, have just I think captured all all the fans in Tampa Bay, and 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 it'll last. I think it'll be something that will help all of them, um, and certainly we'll never forget. 2020 for for a lot of reasons a lot of bad ones but it's also going to be memorable for for what these teams have done and who would have thought during a pandemic our entertainment would have been the weekend and ludicrous <laughs> restaurant <laughs> pretty exactly incredible right. pretty incredible stuff hey uh rick great stuff as always he's the bucks beat writer for the tampa bay times make sure you read your work also make sure to listen to him his podcast called sports day tampa bay steve ersnick also hops on with rick they do an outstanding job breaking down all of the sports talk, and I'm sure a lot to talk about here with the the Bucks for sure. Rick, as always, uh, thank you for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Look forward to talking to you on my podcast down the road. Thanks. Anytime. Get some Anytime. rest. Get right. some yeah, rest. Okay. We'll do. Get some sleep. <laughs> all right, that is Rick Stroud. Also, too, by the way, Bucks championship gear, you can get that at tampabaysports.com. So make sure you uh, get your Bucks gear. And, you know, Dave, it is pretty cool seeing all the sports teams – get behind one another and you know maybe that always doesn't happen but you know the lightning very proactive and there was a uh, a picture of them last night circulating all the guys wearing their their bucks jerseys and you know they were pumped to watch it and i know the bucks players obviously reciprocating there we know the rays get involved in a lot of these sporting events as well it it's pretty cool to see it and as i said before you know I, I think it's it's gotten lost a bit over the last few years, but sports really is a way for us to escape all of the, I, I want to call it BS, in our world today. And uh, at least here in Tampa Bay, for sure, I think the last year has given people an opportunity to get away from some of the other things that are going on in the world. And pride. I mean, Rick talked about that. You have pride in your community, pride that your teams are doing well. And it is neat to see the great support between the franchises. I know that a lot of the lightning players got on the plane to Nashville yesterday wearing bucks 
yeah jerseys <laughs> so for sure they were showing support best they could from their eating room or their meeting room or wherever they were watching the game yes. and uh great to see so congratulations to the bucks as we said congratulations to the rays when they went on their magical run last fall and now it's back in the lightning's corner right yeah <laughs> like they're heading into game 10 of this short and regular season we'll see if they can keep it going too taking on the nashville predators tonight adam vingen from the athletic will be joining us in about 20 minutes. We'll take a break. We'll get to Adam. He had a really interesting article that I want to touch on with you, Dave, when we come back. And it's really about the two marquee players offensively for the Preds. Did they make the right call on Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne? Adam certainly had a an interesting take on that. And, you know, uh, Steven Stamkos went through this a bit Last year, winning the Cup, at the time, a lot of people felt like best player not to win one. Do you really need a championship to validate your place in the history of that particular sport? Because a lot of people were elevating Tom Brady to the best of all time because of the seven Super Bowl rings. But there are a lot of people on Twitter making the case that, you know, that shouldn't be the case. We can discuss that a bit more as well when we return at Bolts Radio. He is Dave Mishkin. I am Greg Lanelli, Steve Versick producing. Back after this, it's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Thanks again to Rick Stroud, who joined us in that previous segment, talking about the Bucks just a bit. Again, congratulations to them. And if you want to react to, you know, maybe some comparisons between the Lightning and the Bucks winning their championships. You certainly can. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. We're getting you set for the game tonight, Lightning and Preds. He's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Linelli. Steve Ersnick producing Adam Vingan from The Athletic will be coming up in about 15 minutes. You know, it's interesting, Dave. We, we have talked about the Lightning's division and, you know, how competitive I think it is with particularly the top four teams right now. Uh, in the Lightning's division, and, you know, there are some people that think you're going to see a little bit more movement there. But, I mean, if you were to sit here and tell me that it's going to be Tampa Bay, Carolina, Florida, and right now it's Chicago, I'd probably quibble a little bit with Chicago. I think Dallas... Yeah, they have games in hand, Dallas. Yeah, they do. They, uh, they've only played nine, and Tampa Bay's only played nine. But the team Tampa Bay plays tonight, Nashville, has played 11 games. They've got 10 points. They are just two points ahead of Detroit for last place in the Discover Central. And I think maybe because of their reputation over the last few years as one of the better teams in the Western Conference that we look at them and still think they're a top-four team in this particular division. And that may end up playing out. But it was interesting, Dave, reading Adam Vingan's article today in The Athletic. And if you didn't have a chance to read it, I'm basically just going to read you the title and we can break it down from there. But I, I thought it was very interesting because I think it's a, it's a very important point is that we've talked about, you know, defense wins championships, offense wins games. But I do think in order to win a championship, at least in hockey, I think you do need your game breakers up front offensively to change the complexion of the game. And he says the title, Dave, I thought was very interesting. Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne are overpaid and unproductive. What's the fix? And 
it's a pretty powerful title. And it kind of gets into those two players and the contract that they've been given and the fact that they've been very inconsistent with their production. But I wonder if it's something that a lot of people maybe tend who aren't covering the team in Nashville overlook when you talk about the Preds is that, you know, it's nice to have that back end. The goaltending for a number of years has been really good. But the Preds, maybe the thing that's been keeping them back has been the game breakers offensively. And it's not to suggest that they haven't gone out, Dave, and tried to address that. Obviously, Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne are, are part of those situations where they went out and, and took a swing and tried to bring in some quality talent up front to get them over the hump. But it appears, at least according to Adam, and we'll talk to him coming up in about 10, 15 minutes, that those players maybe haven't necessarily lived up to their contract, and it's it's really costing Nashville right now. Yeah, it's hard for me to to speak on this because I mean we see Nashville twice a year in the preseason, but the preseason is a little different. And Johansson and Duchesne might not be playing in the preseason games sure. between the Lightning and Predators. I do know this. I mean, the Predators have made the playoffs every year, going back to prior to the time they got to the Stanley Cup final. They finished first in the Western Conference the one year that Winnipeg beat them. That was the 17-18 season. And they finished first in their division in the 18-19 season. They lost in the first round to Dallas, but they did have a very good regular season. And last year they were a playoff team even before they expanded the field. But again, they, they lost in the the play-in round to Arizona that was an upset. So certainly since they got to the Stanley Cup final in 2017, their playoff record has has not been good or not good enough anyway. How much of that is Johansson or Duchesne who just arrived last year? Last year was his first year with Nashville. I mean, Adam is a lot closer to it than than I am or or we are. I know Philip Forsberg is a game-breaker. I mean, he is, and he is on their team. And I look at Johansson, statistically, he does a lot of things very well. He's usually among the league leaders in face-off percentage. Now, look, a guy can be really good at winning face-offs, and if you're paying him to be a game-breaker and he's not, then you know that's not good enough. But he does take a lot of face-offs, and he wins a lot of them. And he has been a point producer in his career, as has Duchesne. So I guess from the outside looking in, kind of like, to me, Nashville is a team that always seems to defend well. They get very good goaltending. Their defense are very active and dangerous, specifically Yossi, Ellis, Ekholm. They have some dangerous guys up front, and I would include Duchesne and Johansson in that mix. And they are a tough out. I mean, the Lightning, prior to their win in... The first game of the two-game set, and the Lightning won both in regulation. They hadn't beaten the Predators in regulation since the 13-14 regular season. Now, again, a small sample size because they're only playing twice a year. But I think that speaks to the fact that the Predators have been a pretty competitive team. And and certainly they play the Lightning well. Listen, they're they're not that far removed from playing in the Stanley Cup Finals against the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, they they have a history there of winning. And they've always had really good defensemen. It's interesting. Um, during his mailbag session, uh, this is Adam Vingens, two things stood out. One, you mentioned Philip Forsberg. 
he talks about how inconsistent he is. And we can get into this with Adam a bit more, where Forsberg can go on a run, Dave, where he's got 10 points in 11 games, and then you don't get anything from him for long stretches. And that's a little bit of an issue, particularly if Duchesne and you know some of these other guys, Johansson, are struggling. But he also talks about if you do go the route of tearing this down a bit, who is the one guy that can probably fetch you something? And he mentions Matthias Eckholm. And again, we talk about the back end, how good the back end was in Nashville for the last 10 years. Even guys that had to be traded away that turned out to be good players for other teams. And they just had an abundance of riches on the back end. But that's kind of the conversation that Adam is having when he's covering this team, or at least right. the way he's looking at it, is that, all right, if you need to rebuild a bit or retool, you've got to start maybe dealing from a position of strength or assets that can bring you back something in return. He mentioned Ekholm, who has one more year, one more uh, year left on his deal, that might be able to bring back, you know, some prospects or even some younger players to get them back to where maybe they need to be. It's just an interesting dynamic because I think the casual hockey fan looks at Nashville. Maybe a lot like we do, and says they're always a competitive team. They're hard to play against. But it sounds like there are some bigger issues there with this team, and maybe the direction they need to go uh, is a little conflicting when it comes to people who actually cover them and the people who watch them. Well, you made this point when we were talking about how you revamp a team and, and try and get your team to be elite. And one way to go is to be really, really bad for a few years, right? right? And then, you know, you get those top picks like Washington and Pittsburgh were two examples that we used back in the early 2000s. They really struggled on the ice and they benefited by getting game breakers at the top of those draft years. It becomes trickier when you're not awful, but maybe just outside elite, if we're going to put Nashville in that category. So you're not picking, say, in the top five. Maybe you're having to pick 18th, 19th, 20th, and it's hard to get game breakers. Not impossible, but it's harder to do. And so if that's the case, maybe you say, well, what assets do we have? Where do we need to improve? How can we How can we maybe shift some of our strength on defense and and supplement our game-breaking quotient, if you will, by bringing back a guy who has you know natural ability to score. Now, I don't know that you can trade Matias Ekholm and say get Patrick Laine like Columbus did. Like Laine is a game-breaker, right? He is a guy that can certainly, I mean, beyond any other components to his game that, that gave Winnipeg pause or whatever, they traded him. There's no doubt that guy can shoot and that guy can score. So if you're like, we need to supplement that, yeah. let's move, let's say, our third best defenseman, who is a guy who could be a top two on another team, and get a player like that. Well, what kind of player are you getting back? You're probably not getting line A, unless you're giving up something else or somebody like line A. He's not available right now, if you know what I'm saying. Sure, no doubt. So then it becomes more difficult, and then when you have a chance to bring in a free agent, you better not swing and miss. And... I guess at this point, they, they feel that, you know, Duchesne, 
whom they brought in as a free agent, a marquee signing in the summer of 2019 after he helped Columbus upset the Lightning and, and get to the second round. And he wanted to go to Nashville. Remember that he wanted to go deal. to Nashville. I mean, maybe it hasn't worked out yet. That's not to say that it won't still, but it's difficult. It's difficult in a cap era to make drastic shifts. It's easier, actually, in a sport like football, in the NFL. <laughs> Contracts are not guaranteed. You can revamp your roster with far fewer handcuffs, basically, mm-hmm. if you can find the right players to, to bring them in. Well, that's why you often see that you know teams can can be terrible and then turn things around. Not every team does it, but, I mean, we talked about – the Browns who beat the Steelers, you know, a couple of years ago, the Browns were and had been terrible. I mean, they've been terrible for a long time, but come on, Dave, yeah, they bring in a couple of players here. You try to dig at me here with, Cleveland? well, I'm come just, I, I thought of them because I'm thinking of other really bad you? teams in the NFL, like the jets who have stayed terrible. Yes. And then you have a team like the Patriots that until this year had stayed good for a really, really long time. I think that's hard to do at the NFL level because you can have teams turn things around a little bit more quickly. It's harder to do at the NHL level based on the cap, well, based on how long it takes to develop players, et cetera. So I don't know what the answer is for Nashville. Are they a Stanley Cup contender this year? And maybe that's the question that Adam is asking. Probably if not. If the answer is no, yeah. then how do you get there? How do you how do you bridge the gap from pretty good to borderline elite to Stanley Cup contender? And, and I don't have the answer for that. There sure. is no easy answer. Because the worst thing, look, the team that Tampa Bay just played, Detroit, that's the worst thing you can be, is you're kind of competitive for all those years, Dave, but you're not really a contender, and you're drafting in that you know 20th to 25th uh, position in the first round. You're not really getting the game breakers. I mean, here, here's the thing about the Lightning. By the way, Adam Vingan, they're waiting for Hines to speak. So that hasn't happened yet. So we're efforting to see what uh, Adam wants to do here. So just bear with us. If we don't do it today, we're going to definitely do it tomorrow. Yeah, because they we're play just, again tomorrow. Yeah, he's got to he's got to get the that done. So we we're going to certainly work with him. But what makes the Lightning situation so unique? I mean, Dave, I mean, you know the stats. I'm looking them up today. Tampa Bay is number one in goals allowed, only giving up two a game. Yep. And again, the high powered offense is comfortable winning games 3-2 in part because of what they've done structurally and their coaching staff has done a good job of changing the mindset of what needs to be done. But also you have Andre Vasilevsky, who's the best in the world. But look at look at the way Tampa Bay is constructed right now. Not every team is going to hit on all cylinders. I mean, think about it. Their superstars are legitimate game breakers, and they have it not only at the forward position, but they have it at the back end. And at the goaltender position. Dave, there are some teams that have one out of those three. Nashville, you know, we're talking about them right now. I mean, who are their game breakers? Now, maybe you can make a case it's Forsberg. They thought it was Johansson and Duchesne. Maybe on certain nights they are. Their back end used to be, but maybe not anymore. And certainly their goaltending isn't anywhere close to Vasilevsky. But the Lightning, look at the layers. Younger players also who have come in and filled a role. They've got superstars who are playing at an elite level. They've got experience. And they've kept their core group around for a few years. Yeah, they're going to have to face some cap casualties moving forward. But for the most part, you feel like the Lightning have a really good shot at, you know, at least contending for the next few years. That's really hard to do. And I think of teams like Nashville, 
you know, they tried to do it by by signing some big free agents to get them over the hump after they made their Stanley Cup final appearance against Pittsburgh a few years back. But not every team is put in a position that Tampa Bay has put in, Dave. Some of that is luck, but some of that has just been, you know, good management and, and getting the right pieces in place. Well, and look, I'm going to say this in defense of the Predators this year. I don't know if the Preds are going to get into the playoffs, and and it's competitive, I mean, in the Central Division. John Cooper said there are going to be some really good teams that miss the playoffs in every division, but the Central Division will be a division in which there are going to be maybe one or two teams in this mix that we're talking about that you're like, yeah, they, they could be a playoff team, and, and they're going to miss. If the Predators can get into the playoffs, though, I think what what the Preds did after, again, losing to Arizona last year, playing round, the year before losing to Dallas, first round, huge disappointment. What do we need to do to improve in the playoffs? And I think they made a concerted effort to get a little grittier. You look at some of the guys that they brought in. Nick Cousins. Halla maybe doesn't fit that bill exactly, but, you know, he's not a bad player in my sure. mind. Um, looking at their roster here, I'm trying to I'll look up the, the guys that, that they brought in. But I think that they made a concerted effort to maybe move from speed skill to meat and potatoes. And... If they can get into the playoffs, I think that they feel that that will help them. Now, again, I'm not watching every shift and every minute of their games to make that diagnosis, but they are, and clearly they felt that it was important for them to do that. And if you do that, maybe that means that in the regular season, it does become a little bit more difficult. I mean, the LA Kings all those years that – they were such a powerhouse in the playoffs. Their regular season play often was kind of eh, right? Sure. <laughs> because their style of game was suited for the playoffs. That's really what I'm trying to say. So have the Predators revamped their roster, not with big swings, because as we just said, it's hard to do that. But along the edges, they have revamped their roster to be more of a team that would have success in the playoffs maybe at the expense of some regular season success. We'll have to wait and see. They have been good at home this year. They've only lost one home game so far. That was to Carolina. They have struggled on the road. And again, it's interesting that's the case because, you know, in most of these buildings, (laughs) there, there are no fans in the buildings, although the Panthers did have fans in the building. And I believe Dallas did too. So some of their road game, they played two in Dallas. So some of their road games have had fans. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's weird. We talked about that with Chicago. Chicago's been so good at home this year. It's weird that that is proving to be important. But if the Predators are going to take a step back in terms of their regular season success, and I don't know that that is necessarily going to happen, I think they would take that trade off if they can get into the playoffs. And it would mean that their team is a little bit better constructed to have success in the postseason. We've got some breaking news coming up. We'll tell you about that. A Predators player has been put on IR, and we'll tell you the lineup John Cooper is going with when we return. He's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Linnelli. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. 
the perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, welcome back. Greg Lanelli, Dave Mishkin, Steve Versnick producing. We're getting you set for Lightning and Preds tonight at 8 o'clock. That means the pregame starts at 7.30 here on Lightning Power Play. A couple of news items to get to. Tampa Bay going with 12-6 and six tonight. Alex Volkoff is in. Cal Foote is out. And looks like Dave Curtis McLean may get the start tonight as well in Nets. It's been a while since he's been able to stop pucks uh, in a real game. And it also looks like Ryan Johansson put on IR here to talk about it. We're glad he is joining us. Adam Vingham from The Athletic here on Power Lunch. Adam, first off, bud, great to be with you. And uh, we started a little bit of the last segment talking about your article recently in The Athletic about Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne. Johansson goes on the IR, but how those guys have been a bit of a disappointment here in Nashville. Is that kind of how you see overall the struggles Nashville's having to get back to being a, a really competitive team? Well, first of all, I just want to commend you on the bravery that the two of you are having by inviting a Saints fan onto your show today. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, congratu- grudging congratulations to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, but uh, it does pain me a little bit. Uh, to see them win the Super Bowl as a as a, a <laughs> long time right. Saints fan. Nothing but um, love here, Adam. Nothing but love yes. here, buddy. We're right. here. Much appreciated. Um, so you. to answer to to update your listeners, as you mentioned, so Ryan Johansson suffered an upper body injury in the first game against the Florida Panthers last week. The game uh, that the Predators down five three late in the game ended up winning six five in overtime. Um, John Hines just announced uh, within the past couple of minutes. Uh, that Ryan Johansson is now considered week-to-week with that upper body injury and is going on injured reserve, um, which under normal circumstances would be considered a tough blow uh, if your number one center is out for a significant period of time. But in the article, mentioning the article that you alluded to, Ryan Johansson hasn't played like that in a long time, at least during the regular season. Um, Matthew Shane finally broke through in that aforementioned Florida game. He had two goals. Um, after not scoring in the, in the first nine games of the season. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I pointed out in that story you're referencing is that at $16 million combined in terms of cap hit, Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne are the fifth highest paid top six center combination in the league. And the four teams ahead of them, uh, Toronto, Edmonton, Pittsburgh, and Washington, you know, those eight players, which includes Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Sidney Crosby of Genny Malkin, Nicholas Backstrom of Genny Kuznetsov. All of those players are either MVPs, Stanley Cup champions, future Hall of Famers, none of which Matthew Shane and Ryan Johansson um, can claim. Uh, so the, the Predators have needed their top players to step up. Philip Forsberg certainly has. He had five points against the Panthers last week in the first game. But Duchesne, Johansson, and to a lesser extent, Victor Arvidsson, are sort of have been MIA on the score sheet and they can't, this team can't win if those players are playing like that. One other topic we hit on Adam on the earlier segment was how the predators, it seemed like they made a concerted effort to maybe revamp the edges of the roster 
to help them in the postseason. Maybe a little grittier. I mentioned Cousins, some of the other guys. Richardson, who ended their season last year, scoring an overtime for Arizona. Luke Cunnan arrived. Borvietsky on the back end. Is some of the early season struggling on Nashville tied to the fact that you are integrating, the Predators are integrating a lot of new players into this lineup and maybe changing their identity a little bit too in terms of the the ruggedness of the lineup with some of these players coming in. Yeah, uh, certainly. Um you meant you know the the Predators made a made an effort this offseason uh to become quote unquote harder to play against. And you know you think of the players uh that you that they've brought in a lot of whom you've mentioned um Luke Cunning, Brad Richardson, Mark Borvietsky, Matt Benning um, but then you think of the players that have since left the team. Um, Nick Bonino, who was traded to Minnesota for Luke Cunning, um, to that, I think close to 20 goals last year. I think he had 18 goals. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Craig Smith, you know, a, a consistent 20 goal scorer, leaves in free agency for the Boston Bruins. Kyle Turris, who did not work out in Nashville, bought out um, in October, but a skilled player. You know, a lot, they became less skilled. They sacrificed skill to become grittier. And while certainly, you know, the Predators think that that is a direction they need to go in, they, as I mentioned, they, they sacrificed, you know, higher end talent, even if that talent wasn't necessarily living up to expectations in Nashville, but they lost more, they lost more skill. And I think that's why you see them near the bottom of the league um, in scoring. And that's why I think it puts more of an onus on, those players I mentioned in the previous answer, your Johansons, Duchesne's, Forsbergs, and Arvidsons, to step up and be those goal scorers, those go-to goal scorers, because without them, this team does not really have a lot of scoring punch up front. Um, it, it, so really, I mean, this is certainly a team um, in transition. Um, this does feel like a bridge year, so to speak, for this group. Um Considering the the fifty six game schedule and the changes they made to the roster, I feel like this is a year where the organization needs to analyze itself from top to bottom, then make hard decisions this off season before hopefully we get back to normal next season uh, in an eighty two game year. A couple more minutes with Adam Vingen from the Athletic here on Power Lunch. Adam, being a middle of the road team is probably the worst position you can be in. Yes. In this league. Do you think that's what the Preds are? And what would you do to fix that, assuming that's what they think they are? Whew, well, that's that's a tough question. Um, yes, I do think they are a middle of the road team. And you're exactly right. They're not bad enough um, to be, um, you know, near the lottery, even though, albeit they, they lost in the qualifying round last year. So they did have a chance in the lottery. They ultimately did not win, of course. But that was a you know, that was a one time thing. And they're also not good enough to challenge for a championship. So they're really stuck in the middle. It's the, as you said, it's the worst place to be. And, and I really do think, and I'm not sure how realistic this is, but I really do think the franchise needs to consider the dreaded R word, rebuild. And I, I don't know exactly how you do that. Um, because they don't, they, they have a lot of money and term tied up into their core players, Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, Duchesne, Johansson, Forsberg, Arvidsson, etc. Um, they don't have a lot of guys on expiring deals um, that would that would remove a lot of cap space. Um, you know, I, I personally believe that unless this team somehow engineers a miracle run to the top of the Central Division by by the trade deadline in April, that they should start selling assets. 
Um, they should trade Mikhail Granlund. They should trade Brad Richardson. They should trade Eric Halla. Any Anybody on an expiring contract, they should trade. And I think the most extreme thing, and this is the thing I'm not sure is possible, but the most extreme thing I think they should consider doing is doing whatever it takes to get the Seattle Kraken to take Ryan Johansson or Matthew Shane. You know, give them draft picks, give them another roster player, give them prospects, do something. I just don't think that, I think this team's ceiling is low with those two as your highest paid forwards and top two centers. So the Predators management team has their work cut out for them. I wish I knew all of the, I wish I had all of the answers. I'd be be getting paid a lot more if I did, uh, but that's what I think they should consider. Well, hopefully the Saints get more answers too, Adam, for you down the road. <laughs> Speaking and... of teams with cap problems, <laughs> New Orleans, the New Orleans Saints, uh, you know, they're they're in they're in tough sledding too. I, I, you know, I'm sure Jameis Winston loved watching what he saw last night. Um, you know, those those thirty thirty years were not going to lead to a Super Bowl. So perhaps thirty James thirty years. Hey, look, hey, Adam, in baseball, thirty thirty is pretty good. But not in yes. football if you're football, a quarterback. Football, not so much. But hey, that's they were right. what, a seven and nine team with yeah. him as a thirty and thirty quarterback. I mean, yeah. that's pretty good. I mean, you know, they could have easily been what, four and twelve with a quarterback who turned over the ball so much, but that's right. They up they upgraded. So good for them. Well, look, Matt, we appreciate you taking time. We're gonna Thank do you, this Adam. again and uh, we'll check in to see where the Preds are and we'll kind of go from there. All right, guys, be good. All right, Adam Vingen from The Athletic. We always appreciate his time and uh, good analysis there. And uh, I, I thought pretty pretty spot on. Yeah, he basically backed up what we were speculating, which is the Preds tried to get grittier at the expense of their skill, and he does not feel that they are a cup team. And their skill, so what do you do? And their skill isn't as good as they hoped. Right. I think that's the other thing to that equation. Dave, great job. And we're going to talk more about this tonight, starting at 7.30 on the pregame. Yeah, tomorrow we can spend a little bit more time talking about the McElhinney start, which will yep. have happened at that point, and the Lightning going back to 12-6 and six for the first time in a few games. Yep. See how that works. Calfoot out, Volkoff in, McElhinney starting, Johansson on IR. That's all you need to know, and that's why you listen to this great show. Yes, I put in the word great because that's what we do. Dave, great job. We will talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. All right, Steve Ersnick producing. Thanks to Adam Vingan and Rick Stroud, who joined us earlier to talk about the Bucks a little bit. You get everything here on Power Lunch. I am Greg Linelli. We'll be with you again tonight with the pregame starting at 730. Lightning and Preds right here on Lightning Power Play.